0: And, uh, but it's really, really cool. I've been, I've been living here at the church this week um, because I wanted to be able to be here for you guys and lucky I have been living here at the church this week because Trinity and Madison tested positive on Thursday and so um, I get to go home today after the services and, um, and Trinity will be out of isolation in time for next Sunday so if I get sick this week, then I'll be staying home and she'll be holding the fort. How's that sound? All right, are you ready today? We continue um, the series in game. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to Trinity's message. I realize that this series can be quite in your face because we have all been taught particular things over the years about what the end times looks like and even when I look back about what I was taught, uh, especially in my teenage years, it was a lot of fear and a lot of things around it. And there's just a lot of false stuff as well that I've come to realize. And I realize that this series might be a little bit in your face compared to what you have been taught over the years. Can I encourage you, don't quit halfway through the series? See the series through. And if you have questions at the end of the series, more than happy to sit down with you and talk that through. That won't be a problem at all. So a couple of things that we need to remember from last week's message at Trinity said is first of all, any interpretation of the book of Revelation must be relevant to the people of the time because it's a pastoral epistle written by John to the churches at that time. If it doesn't make sense to them, then it's not a good interpretation. We got that? And the only other way to interpret the book of Revelation is to do it via Scripture. The only way to interpret any kind of Scripture is to look at what the Scripture teaches about that and to interpret it that way. We can't afford to interpret the Bible based on news items. Can I I just say this? There's There's a whole heap of crazy people out there at the moment that are talking about Russia and Ukraine and they're trying to make it some sort of end-time thing. It's not an end-time thing, okay? Can I just get it really clear? Putin's just being a bit of a buffhead. It's not end-time. He's not after Jerusalem. He's not, he's not the king of the north. It's, it's none of that, okay? It's just crazy. Because I think what the approach that some people take to the book of Revelation is that there's some secret coded message inside it and we've got, it's like an escape room, and we're just going to find all the clues to understand it, and yet the scripture shows us it's actually really easy to understand where you interpret it via scripture, and so today we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. Has anybody ever heard of the mark of the beast? Awesome, let me just read you a passage, and then I'm going to show you a clip well, a, a slide of what I call the Mark of the Beast Starter Kit. All right, here we go. Revelation 13, 16 to 17 says this. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name, which is 666, right? So, so the scripture says here that there's a mark on the hand or the forehead and it represents um, that you are unable to buy, sell and exchange and all that sort of stuff without these things, okay? Let me show you everything that I've experienced over my lifetime that has been the mark of the beast. Here we go, first one that I got told, told when I was 14 years of age was the barcode, and see how it's got three double lines through there? Apparently those double lines represent six, so it's six, six, six. The barcode was the mark of the beast. You're going to get a barcode on your hand, and you're going to get a barcode on your forehead. I'm now 49 years of age, so that's 35 years later, and still no one's walking around with a barcode on their hand or a barcode on their forehead. Are you with me? The next one is the mask is the mark of the beast. I don't think so. The um, next one was the bank card because it's got three coloured bees: red, orange and yellow, so it's 666. Six, six. So don't get a credit card because it's the mark of the beast. How many people know that credit cards are not the mark of the beast? Sometimes they are a horrible thing if you don't have control around your spending, but it's not the mark of the beast. The next one is the microchip. It's going to be a microchip in your hand or your forehead. No microchip has been implanted in people's hands or foreheads that represents the mark of the beast. And then COVID vaccine, that's the mark of the beast. No, it's just a vaccine. And now QR codes are the mark of the beast. It's like, in all the years that I've been in the Christian world, which has been my whole entire life, there has always been people said, this is the mark of the beast, that's the mark of the beast. You know that none of those people have ever apologized and ever said, I got it wrong. Sorry. And you know what it did for me as a 14 and 15-year-old? It freaked me out, especially the barcode one, because I was waiting to get a barcode. Someone saying, if you want to buy something, you need a barcode. I, I don't know about you, but for starters, I think there's so many people that are way too vain in this world to ever have a barcode on their forehead. You know? It would have to match with their shoes and their handbag or something for it to work, yeah? And so we've been taught or people have said especially dispensationalists have said that it's a literal physical mark here's the problem the book of revelation is a pastoral letter written to the church at the time the churches at that time saying hey this persecution is going to happen but it's okay hang on to god don't let go of god because if you don't let go of god we come out on the right side of this. It's written to encourage people in their persecution not to let go of their faith. And so everything in it is really symbolic in nature. You can't turn around and say that the mark of the beast is a literal mark because it also talks in the book of Revelation about the children of God having a mark. Are you ready for this? The mark on believers is referred to as the seal and you can't talk about how you understand the mark of the beast without understanding the mark of god believers people that are following christ receive a mark and they also receive the name of god on their forehead and on their hand it says this in revelation 7:13. 3 this is where it talks about it after these things i saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels of whom was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, and the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So all these people that teach you that the mark of the beast is a literal mark, would also have to agree that people that are followers of Christ will have a literal mark of God on their foreheads. Otherwise, it's a misinterpretation of Scripture because you can't turn around and say one thing is literal, but the other thing is not. That's not a good interpretation of Scripture. Are you with me today? Revelation 14.1 says this, Then they looked up, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their forehead. So the thing about the mark, or the seal on believers, it's identified as God's name written on them. I, I'm looking out in the audience today, and, and I'm sure if you look in the mirror, if you're at home, none of you that are followers of Christ have God's name written on your forehead. Correct? All right, you're really quiet today. It just... What this is talking about is it biblically signifies ownership, who you align yourself with. Those with the name of God or the mark of God on them, which is you and I, followers of Christ, are owned by God. We belong to God. We owe our allegiance to God. And there is a long history throughout the Bible where it talks about the mark or the seal that have been placed on people. There is a mark in Ezekiel 9 where God sends an angel to mark the believers in Jerusalem because destruction is coming on the city and they're marked. They're not literally marked. It's not like the angel came down and got a vivid out and started writing on their foreheads. They are symbolically marked by God. And He says, You can go throughout the city, but don't pick on those people. Here it is in Ezekiel 9 4. It says, And the Lord said to them, Go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. It wasn't a literal mark, it was being marked by God. At the Passover story, there is a mark placed. In that case, it was on the doorposts yeah, of the house which the Israelites lived in, so that as the angel of death came by, he saw the mark of the blood of the Lamb and left those houses alone. And so we can start to see that there's a pattern all throughout Scripture, because remember, we interpret the book of Revelation, Revelation through Scripture, and all the way through Scripture, there is a pattern where there is a mark placed on believers to protect them. It's not a literal mark, it's a mark that God places on them to protect them. Look at this in Exodus 12. And it says this, And they shall take some blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses they are eaten. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you, On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In fact, the first time in Scripture that the mark is ever mentioned, and one of the key principles of biblical interpretation is always the law of first mention. When something is mentioned first, that's usually the intention of what it is about. And so the first mention of someone being marked is actually Cain in Genesis 4.15. He's killed his brother Abel, God's now kicked him out, and this is what he says in Genesis 4.15, and the Lord said to him, that is Cain, therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. So the mark on Cain was a protective mark so no one would touch him because what God was saying is that that's my business. I will deal with Cain. Anybody else touch Cain and they will have to deal with me. He placed a mark, not a literal mark, but a mark on Cain so that no one would touch him. So there's a common thread all the way throughout scripture that that a mark is protection, especially from God, is a protection for someone. And in the book of Revelation, the mark on believers is clearly equated with having the mark of God on them and having the name of God on you is a symbolic biblical way of saying you belong to God. Elsewhere, all through the New Testament, the seal of the Holy Spirit also indicates that believers belong to Christ. That's in Ephesians. All believers have the mark of God on them. This signifies that they are owned by God or have their allegiance to God. Why the forehead and why the hand? Well, the forehead is where your mind is. Your mind, your will, your emotions. It represents your heart. It's it's where you declare your allegiance. Um, It's your mind is where your thinking takes place, your dreaming takes place, your emotions take place. All of that is in your mind. And so what, what it's saying is that whoever's got their mark on your forehead is in control of those areas of your life. Believers, that, non-believers, don't have the mark of God, and so they carry the mark of the beast. And what's the beast? The beast is the world system. The beast is the demonic uh, thing that's behind all world governments and behind anything that's not of God, that's trying to control and trying to infiltrate and trying to bring persecution to the church. We see that all over the world. The hand, the hand symbolizes a participation in the economy or what you do. Your hand always signifies what you do for a living. It's what what you what you do about things. The hand is what you work with. The hand is what you do practically and life, it fits with the whole buying and selling thing. So if the mark of believers is symbolic and not literal and signifies ownership, then obviously the mark of the beast is absolutely identical to that. It's not a literal mark, but it symbolizes ownership. It's what symbolizes the fact that those people that hold their allegiance or give their allegiance to the beast. So So, people that don't know Christ don't know that they're doing this, they're not intentionally doing this. But if we reject Christ, then we are saying that we are part of the world system. Revelation defines or divides humanity into two categories, either those that carry the mark of God, or those that carry the mark of the beast. And anyone who's not a follower of Christ carries the mark of the beast, but it's symbolic but it also expresses ownership. They both are symbolic marks and you can only have one or the other. Now, I know that's pretty intense, right? You all got to take a deep breath. We're about to explain it a little bit more for you. The thing is, is that these sorts of things, these marks have been happening all through the church age. The Bible teaches that the church age began, began the day that Christ went to heaven and then the church age began. The book of Revelation, the, the visions start in chapter 4 and 5 when Christ ascends to the right hand of God and starts unleashing everything that we have seen in the last 2,000 years. Everything in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 onwards deals with stuff that started back when Christ ascended to heaven. The book refers to these things as they're ongoing throughout the history of the world. And so for 2,000 years, people have either carried the mark of God, or they've carried the mark of the beast. So it's not a literal mark, because I don't see anybody, whether they're believers or unbelievers, walking around with marks on their forehead or marks on their hands, yeah? or with barcodes, or with microchips, or with anything else. Here's, here's the good news. The good news is you can get rid of the mark of the beast by giving your life to Jesus Christ and replace it with the mark of God. You can be converted. So don't go looking around for literal marks like barcodes and microchips and all kinds of stuff because there's no, there's no validity in arguments that the mark is something that is literal, because the scripture does not speak this. It's not something that's literal. And the problem that we in the church have is we have what I call professional predictors that have been saying for years that the mark of the beast might be, like all those things I showed you earlier, the barcode, the bank card, professional predictors trying to say what they think it is. They've been predicting it hundreds of times or thousands of times, and they've got it wrong every single time. They've predicted the Antichrist. First it was Henry Kissinger, then it was Mikhail Gorbachev, then it was somebody else. They're constantly predicting and constantly getting it wrong, and they're trying to work out who carries the 666, and it must be a person. And they're constantly getting it wrong and they write books and they sell hundreds of these books and people read them and then what they say in the book doesn't come to pass. So they write another book that everybody buys because the first one was wrong but it was wrong because I forgot this. So now I remember this part so I wrote a book about that and they sell a whole lot of books for that too and then that's proved not right so they write another book and they just keep on writing books and making excuses for their poor theology and their poor interpretation of scripture because they're wrong and they can't admit that they're wrong, and they never apologize for being wrong, and they never say, hey, I got this wrong. And that's why I have a massive problem with them. Because if I stood up here and said something to you that was found out to be completely wrong, you'd have a problem with me. But for some reason, we get caught up in the westernized, American-type church, and we just believe what some person proclaimed from a pulpit because they've got a big church of thousands of people and you should never ever take for granted what is said from this platform you should go away and look at it for yourself but if all you ever do is listen to people that believe in this then you're going to believe in it you need to challenge your thinking challenge what you have been taught and start to look because let me let me just say this all the early church fathers including all the apostles, never taught that there was a literal mark of the beast. Never. That only came into being in 1830 for a guy called Darcy. It was never taught before them. And in fact, there's a book written in the early 200th century by a theologian where all these people were predicting the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And there's a book written where he is debunking all of their ideas. There has always been people that do this, and they always get it wrong. And the biggest one that you're probably hearing at the moment is that the mark is a microchip. That you're going to get a microchip put in your hand, or you're going to get a microchip put in your forehead. Can I just say this? The mark of the beast is not a microchip. Please don't pay any attention to this garbage. Because when Christians say stuff like that, we look stupid and then we make God look stupid, and we're here to make God look good, yes? Then this kind of stuff doesn't, and people are totally fed up with this kind of end-time prediction because it's not true. Are you with me? The mark of God appears in Genesis 4. We see it in Ezekiel 9, and we obviously see it throughout the book of Exodus. We understand that the mark biblically Presents a mode of protection. It is not a literal mark. In the case of the Passover, it was. It was on the doorposts of the house. It was a mark of God's protection for his people. And we know the opposite is true for those that are not under the protection of God. Those that have rejected God, want no part in him. They pay their loyalty and their allegiance to the world and its system. And so they are marked by that but it's not a physical mark. And to be honest with you, this is the only thing that actually makes sense when you read the book of Revelation. Having said all of that, I do know that Elon Musk, how many people know who Elon Musk is? Tesla. All right. He is developing a microchip at the moment that they've been doing trials on disabled uh, animals. So animals that are paralyzed, where they have been implanting a microchip into the brain of these animals, and then they've been able to walk. It's, it's cured their paralysis. And actually, um, the success of the trials have been so good that, that they're going to begin in this coming year trials on humans. But that's not the mark of the beast. Because here's the thing. Anybody that has a pacemaker has a microchip. And we've been cool with pacemakers for years, yes? I know someone who has a pacemaker. I'm pretty cool that they have one because it keeps them alive, yes? Are you guys okay? But Christians are like, don't ever get a microchip in your body because then it's the mark of the beast. Well, then the millions of people that have pacemakers carry the mark of the beast. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should get a microchip implanted into your hand or your forehead instead of a credit card. I'm not advocating that at all. In fact, I don't think you should do that at all. I don't think that that's the mark of the beast. I just think that that's a dumb idea for you to do. I would never do that. It's a, it's a stupid idea. But, but we have some Christians just foaming at the mouth at this kind of issue And they spend their and and, and they're like microchips, microchips, oh microchip. But they spend their life on computers, spend their life with electronic communications all the time, doing all their research on Google. We basically live in a world that is a microchip. Everything we touch. My car broke down this week. It's microchip run. We can't avoid it, it's part of our lives. But like anything, it can be good or it could be bad. Like social media can be good, and it can be really, really bad. The internet can be great, and it can be really, really bad, yes? You know, and then you've got people like, Amazon, Amazon can track a parcel. It's the devil tracking you. Don't buy from Amazon. Here's some news for you. If you have a smartphone, you're probably already being tracked. And if you go and live somewhere like China, you will be tracked through your smartphone. Like it's it's just crazy when people start talking like this. Well, all that demonstrates the fact that people are tracking us via our phones is that we need governments that write policies that protect our privacy. That's all that means. It's not it's not it's not some mark of the beast thing, and it's got nothing to do with eschatology, which is the study of end times. Okay. So, so, okay, Craig, that's cool. So, you're saying it's not literal, but what about the whole thing of the inability to buy, sell without a mark of the beast? The whole thing about buying and selling is something that people quote all the time. But remember, once again, John wrote this to the churches at the time at 70 AD. Were there microchips in 70 AD? I think not. So it has to make sense to the people it was written to. Yes, it's applicable to us today, but it has to also be applicable to them then. All right? It actually has to be applicable to the people that it was written to. And so they understood this. They understood what this meant. Because the problem that they had, first century Christians at this time that this book was written, was the Roman Empire was the economy of the world, right? And what the Roman Empire did is, is they created what they called these trade guilds, like unions. And basically, you had to belong to a trade guild to be able to work. So if you were a builder, you're a part of a, trade, a builder's guild. If you're a musician, you're part of a musician's guild. If you were a plumber, you're part of a plumber's guild if you were a a, a, um, tax collector, you're part of a tax collector's guild. Like No matter what job you had, you had to be part of a guild. If you were not part of a guild, you could not work. Nobody was excluded. Everybody had to belong to something. If you had a job and you participated in the economy of the time, you had to belong to a guild. Now, At that same time, the Romans were also promoting emperor worship, the worship of Caesar. Now, we understand, and you would understand, that at that time, Christians had a big problem with worshipping Caesar, because they're meant to be worshipping God. So what the Romans did, the authorities, because they thought they were really clever, is they made worship rituals part of these trade guilds for you to be part of the trade guild, meant that you had to not only be a builder to be part of the builder's guild, but you also had to do particular ritual worship to the emperor to be part of that guild. Well, how many people know that Christians are like, we can't do that? We can't do that. And so Christians then, at that time, got kicked out of the trade guilds because they refused to worship Caesar only to worship God, now that they're not part of the trade guilds, they can no longer buy, sell, or exchange. That's the context in which John is talking about this. See, the background of John's comments was this. It was to do with Christians that were being pressured to renounce their faith, and he's telling them, hang in there. Don't quit. You will suffer, but God will protect you. Don't compromise. The buying and selling refers to the pressure that we face as Christians, not only not, not only around compromising our testimony in society. That's how it's relevant to us today. The pressure that we feel to keep quiet about our Christianity. And there are lots of places in the world today where Christians are persecuted where money and possessions are used, and you won't get a good job if you're a Christian. Here's a great example. In China today, unless you are completely supportive of the Communist Party, what they do is you get points as a, as a person. They, they allocate points to you based on your job, based on whether you're committed to the Communist Party, based on all the stuff that you do. You get points, and those points... Accumulated And it gives you a standing in the society because of those points. Well, the thing is, is if you are a, a supporter of the Communist Party, you get points. If you're a Christian, you get minus points. If you let them know that you're a Christian, you lose points. And when you lose points, then you lose your position in authority and uh, in society. And you also have the potential to lose jobs or not get very good jobs because you're a Christian. That, my friend, is revelation, mark of the beast persecution. In India, when there's a national disaster, everybody, Hindus, get support from the government, but not Christians. Christians get no money from the government because they're Christians. It's the same kind of thing that first century Christians were facing. To talk about it as a microchip is to completely misunderstand and trivialise what people have been suffering for centuries for standing for their faith all over the world. You could Be sort of a half-hearted Christian who's totally against having microchips implanted into into you, but the way you handle your money is anything but kingdom. You might compromise in your job, you might cut corners, you might do dodgy deals to get yourself ahead, hiding the fact that you're a Christian when you are actually in violation of how God would tell you to live your life. I don't know where the microchip thing came from that everybody talks about, but it's obviously not in the book of Revelation and it isn't something that is applicable to the people that John was writing to then and so it's wrong to interpret the text that way. Is it applicable today? Yes, it is as a Christian because as we've already said, in many parts of the world, if you're a Christian, you are penalized or you are even excluded from the economy or good jobs. Does that make sense? I mean, I like soccer. Does anybody else like soccer? English Premier League, love it, watch it. Mo Salah is probably one of the greatest players on the face of the planet. He's an Egyptian and he's a Muslim and he plays in the Egyptian national side. But in Egypt, if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to play soccer. You 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 have no chance of ever playing in the professional league. You have no chance of representing Egypt, no matter how good you are. You could be better than Mo Salah, but you are not allowed to play because you're a Christian and Egypt is a Muslim nation. So can you understand how turning around and saying that it's a micro trip trivializes people from all over the world experiencing prejudice? because they're Christians. And according to church history, John, who wrote this, was also the pastor of the Ephesus church. And the Ephesus trade guild, right next to the bank and right next to the temple of Diana, is where they used to make figurines of Diana. And people would come from all over the world and buy these figurines and then take them home to their own countries or wherever they were from. And that's how people made a living. But anyone that was a Christian in Ephesus at that time could not work in that trade guild and not earn money. And so, so he is talking here as the pastor of Ephesus, and he knows what it's like for people in his church to go without work because they're choosing to follow Jesus. It's costing them. And it makes so much more sense than trying to understand what the mark of the beast is. If you are not a follower of Christ, you will carry the mark of the beast because you're someone who lives within the world system. And if you're happy to live within the world system, good on you. God bless you. That's your choice. But if you are a follower of Christ, you wear the mark of Christ because you choose not to live by that system, but to live by the kingdom of God. We choose not to worship the emperor just like the first century Christians did And in our case, it will be something else that we have to choose not to do because we're followers of Christ. And I think the more corrupt the country is and the more corrupt its economy is, the bigger the persecution on Christians to hold their stance. If you read Revelation and don't know the Old Testament, you won't be able to understand it. We don't interpret anything in Revelation from one news or three news, because that's not how you interpret scripture. So is the mark of the beast something as a Christian that we should be worried about? Or is it something that we should spend time on or whatever? No, you shouldn't spend any time on it whatsoever. What we should be worried about as Christians is helping people get out of the mark of the beast and into the mark of God to get them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his glorious son. That's what we should be focused on. We should be focused on seeing people get saved because when they get saved and they come to Jesus, they get rid of the mark of the beast and they get the mark of Christ upon them. And that is what we should be motivated to do rather than trying to avoid this whole thing ourselves and trying to work it all out. What we wanna do is we wanna populate heaven and, and absolutely decimate hell, that should be what our priority is. And when we understand that, and we think that, that turns all of Christianity on its head around the end times, because we come, become more concerned about others and our unsaved friends and family than we do about ourselves. And my problem with the dispensational teaching is that it's like we're going to hang on by the skin of our teeth until Jesus comes back, and there's going to be all this persecution. And, and so instead of reaching out to those that need Christ, we're kind of hiding ourselves away in our bunker trying to just outlive this moment. And that's not what God has called us to do. We're called to love our neighbor, serve our neighbor, see our neighbor saved. All right? Let me just quickly, this is not really a a preaching kind of message as such, but it's more like some information for you. But let me just quickly explain to you what the 666 is in the book of Revelation. It's people get all confused about that, right? So we understand, and we're going to finish on this, we understand that in the book of Revelation, num- well, in the Bible, numbers represent something, right? So seven represents um, completion, or it, it symbolizes perfection, and, and hence it is the number of God. The number six represents fallenness, or man, so it represents the fallenness of humanity, of the sin of humanity, Uh, the number four represents the earth, and, and all those things, three represents the trinity, you know, there's all sorts of, 12 represents government, because there's 12 tribes of Israel, and 12 disciples, so it represents government, all numbers all mean something, and so when we come to the book of Revelation, they are symbolic, but they are significant, all right, are you with me? So in chapters 12 to 13 of Revelation, we get introduced to this whole thing about 666, and we get introduced to three demonic entities. The first one is the dragon, and Revelation 9.12 says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. He is cast to the earth, and his angels are cast out with him. So the dragon in the book of Revelation represents the devil. The second thing that we get introduced to is the beast or the sea beast. And the sea beast, uh, you can read that scripture if you want to later, Revelation 13, 1 to 3. But he, he kind of, it says here in verse 3, it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his, and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. All right? So that's the beast or the sea beast. And then the third one we get introduced to is the false prophet or the second beast or the land beast. And that's in Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. They had two horns just like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Here's the thing. The first one, the dragon, represents the devil. It's not a dragon. You know, this is where people get it wrong. You can't go literal. It's not, a, it's not a literal dragon. Dragon represents the devil. The beast or the sea beast identifies as someone that has been slain and resurrected. So what is the sea beast? The sea beast is, a, is set up as a demonic counterfeit to Christ, who died and rose again, in the same way that the devil is a demonic counterfeit to God the Father. Are you with me? The false prophet, or the second beast, or the lamb beast, he deals with bringing the miraculous signs down from heaven, or should I say from hell. And he deals in the breath or wind and religious matters. And so this is very clear that the second beast is a demonic counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. So what does the dragon, the sea beast, and the lamb beast represent? It's a demonic trinity. It's a counterfeit of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you you right? Because why? Because the devil always counterfeits everything that he can about God. The one thing he can't counterfeit is love. Because there's no love in him. So even the gifts of the Spirit can be counterfeited by the demonic. If the demonic can cause it, the demonic can also take it away. Are you, are you all right? You doing okay? So there is a demonic counterfeit to everything in that sense. And at the end of the account of these three entities, we get the number 666, six, six, because six is the number of fallenness, and you have the dragon six, the sea beast six, the lamb beast six. 666 six, six represents the demonic counterfeit of the trinity set up in opposition why because number seven is the number of god and we have the father seven the son seven holy spirit seven 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 it's not a person it's a demonic counterfeit of the trinity it is set up in opposition to the trinity many many attempts have been made by people to try and identify who the person is like i said earlier henry kissinger Uh, Gorbachev, all those. It's not a person. It's a demonic counterfeit of the Trinity. There is no indication in this text or in, in anywhere that it is a historical person or a person yet to be born. No one has been able to come up with a person. All those professional predictors have never been able to identify a person. There are thousands of people whose names have been put forward as this and none of it has come true because it's not a person, it's a demonic activity. The answer is clear in the text. The answer is the demonic trinity of 666 and it is a counterfeit to the holy trinity which has the number 777. Alright? I know it's pretty heavy, but we've got to get this right because otherwise we will spend our time Watching news items going, Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Instead of going, you know what? We have a responsibility to take the kingdom to our world. We have a responsibility to see as many people as we can marked by God before Christ's return. That should be our motivating factor. And that was what the early church was taught. You're being persecuted, hang in there. We're gonna get people saved. We're gonna see lives transformed. God will protect you. You carry his mark. He's got you. No matter how bad it looks, God has got you. And I'll tell you what, that that is a message for the church today. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It's a message for your life today. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. If you're a follower of Christ, you carry his mark, you are protected, you are safe, and it may look like you're not, but you are. And at the end of the day, all I can think about is this scripture. Don't be concerned about the one who can take your physical life Fear the one who can take your soul and your spirit. Because you know what? This time that we live here on earth is about that long, but it sets you up for all of your eternity. And that's what matters. Your eternity is what matters, not what you're doing right here, right now. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray right now, God, that we would be able to carry the mark of God in such a way that everybody else would see and everybody else would inquire so that we too can help people go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious Son, that we would see people remove the mark of the beast off their lives and step into the mark of God on their lives. Lord, for those that are going through trouble and persecution, Lord, just not in our church, but all over the world because of their stance for you. Father, I pray for your protection, for your blessing, for your prosperity. God, may we never, ever give up on you because, God, you'll never give up on us. And while we're in your hands, We are safe. In fact, your word says that you hold us in the palm of your hand. We don't have to worry about what's going on around the world because we've got Jesus, we've got God, we've got the Holy Spirit in and within us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you just break off any fear or any wrong thinking that has been put upon our lives over the year and that we'll be free knowing that we carry the mark of God, that we are protected, that we are safe, and that when God is for us, no one can be against us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in online today. I hope that was really, really helpful. God bless you. Stick around, have tea and coffee and stuff like that with us, and otherwise we'll see you all next week. God bless.